This is a Soulfire production. everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. I'm here with you today. It's a Saturday. It's a beautiful Saturday. The sun is shining. And uh, we're going to be diving into your questions. So one thing that I'm, I'm considering for this kind of like second show, second weekly show, that will come out on Fridays once I get all the tech issues that I'm dealing with sorted out. It's been a very stressful couple days dealing with CPU usage. By the way, if anybody understands uh, how to better enhance my performance while running OBS um, as far as CPU load, please reach out and let me know. Give me give me a little bit of a education because I'm not that techie. And if you don't know what that means, you can ignore that and just move on. So what we have, we've been playing around trying to do some new things, trying to work on getting uh, getting some uh, live stream stuff set up, just all kinds of stuff. But I think my computer is about tapped out as far as like what it can handle. And I'm really... I'm really just uncompromised. I do not want to go with a desktop. I'd like to maintain the laptop. And until the new MacBook Pro 16-inch with the M1 chip comes out in this this fall, we're going to be playing this game. So it is what it is. But we're here. We're doing the thing. And now the new kind of structure, and this is I, I want to hear y'all's feedback. Really, like we're early on in this process. We've been doing this show for about a year now. It's been great. It's going super well. Uh, Patreon's growing. We're, things are Things are moving in the right direction, right? Slower than I would like, but that's just that such is life. Um, so what I want to do, kind of do on these on these second show per week. So we have the normal show that's like, you know, four or five topics, whatever, uh, breaking it down more news structure. What I'd like to do on on the second show per week, so the Friday show, would be take kind of one concept, one thing, or maybe two things that are going on, and just kind of play with it for a little while. And I don't need, I, I, you know, I have notes over here and I, some thoughts, but and some clips to play, but just kind of flush something out, um, and then spend what would be, you know, that will kind of take the place of the state of things, and then spend what would be the time on something to think about um, on your questions from Instagram. So a public show is just kind of going into questions and topics, similar to what we do on in the Patreon, but just not quite as in depth because. The Patreon community does get preferential treatment, and it will remain that way because capitalism. So that's where we're at. That's what we're doing. That's how we're living. And I like that. I think it's a good idea. I mean, we'll see. But um, you let me know. You let me know what you think. Find me on, on, on the gram and shoot me a little DM. Just slide right in. Now, I heard something the other day that was really funny. I really enjoyed this. It was cracking me up. So somebody posted a clip that says, if you play Ben Shapiro... At half speed, he sounds like a drunk frat bro trying to mansplain politics to you. So, so I decided we we tried out the video they played on this TikTok. This TikTok was uh, that someone sent me was I was like maybe they're just cherry picking and this one makes sense. So I just picked a random video that popped up on my on my uh, YouTube feed here. So let's let's see what happens when you slow Ben Shapiro down to 0.5 speed. So here's him at normal speed talking about the UN. Secretary of State Blinken tweeted this quote. Responsible nations must not shrink from scrutiny of their human rights record. Rather, they should be transparent with the intent to grow and do better. That is why I'm announcing a formal invitation for the UN Special Rapporteur on Contemporary Forms of Racism to visit the United States. This is patently mad. I mean, it's crazy. The United Nations is a is the most eisley of international politics. It is a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Okay, so there's that. So there's, there's normal speed. 
Now let's take it down to mm, 0.5 speed here and just see if it still holds up at half speed because you know Ben Shapiro is a fast talker, which makes him smarter because he talks fast. But here we go. Let's let's see how this sounds. The, the, the notion that we should have auditors from Sudan and China and Russia and Malaysia and all of these other countries that can't hold the candle glass in terms of human rights come and audit domestic American racism. It's a political tool by Anthony Blinken, which so often foreign policy <laughs> is to Democrats. And this is why Barack Obama in his very early days before he was even president, did a European tour. You, a lot of people in the United States were saying to themselves, why is Barack Obama, a senator in the United States, running for the American presidency, attempting to go abroad and do speeches in, like, Berlin and Paris? And the answer is because what Democrats really wish to do is suggest that other countries, their opinions ought to matter with regards to domestic American politics. The rest yeah, other countries shouldn't matter at all when it comes to domestic America. We have nothing to learn from other countries. Their opinions should not matter at all, Ben Shapiro. But yeah, you take, you take that for what it is. Slowing it down to half speed is really, really does sound like a drunk frat kid, which is... Which is beautiful in its own way. I want to take a second and thank um, Corey and Amanda for joining the Patreon. Thank you so much. You are now part of the part of the elite. You're part of the the, the the actual community, not the audience. You're no longer audience members. You got that VIP backstage pass where you can just do kind of whatever you want. You, you've you've actually unlocked thanks to your contribution. You've unlocked a new level of freedom. Um, freedom only ex exists when you can afford it. You know what I mean? That, that, that's how it, that's, that's the American way. And what Corey and Amanda have shown is that they're willing to sacrifice, um, for their hard earned money and, and, and a substantial portion of their lives for true freedom via consumption. Consumption is freedom, and Corey and Amanda have, 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 have really put their money where their mouth is. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining the Politically Homeless Patreon community. If you would like to join the community and support the show, you can go to the link in my show notes, patreon.com slash politicallyhomeless, and dial it up. Now, that would be amazing. I'd love to have you there. But if you don't, that's fine. You just get to listen to an ad in about 10 minutes. But before we get into any of that, before we get into like all your questions and all the fun stuff we're going to do, let's have another fun conversation around the culture war. Where did it come from? How did it begin? Is it new? Is it new? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's play right now. All right, so <clears throat> the culture war, the culture war. This is the thing. Like everything, it's this. We, we're in this situation. What it feels like to me, and it just having done this and cared about this for a long time, but having seen this kind of progress over the past five or six years, 
it, it seems that we've gotten to the situation where at least on the surface, it looks like more people are partisan, more people are frustrated, more people are, are divided than ever before. Even though when you look at some of the data, that doesn't seem to actually add up on with when it comes to normal people, but um, normal people aren't the loudest, right? So we have a situation where we're seeming incredibly polarized, where, where politics is kind of infected everything, right? And I, I'm going to say that like the real pandemic is 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 media rhetoric and manipulation, right? That's really what's what's rotting away the brains of of Americans, and it's getting really really bad. But it's never really been good, or it hasn't been good in my adult life, anyways. And I consider my adult life um, pretty much after 26. I don't think you're an adult until I mean, even then, it's kind of pushing it. I feel like I'm an adolescent. Most people are adolescents at 26, uh, unless you have some kind of circumstances that force you to grow up in your life. So, in my adult life, I've I've noticed this and seen this, and it's almost one of the reasons. Like, and I want to be clear about this. Like, I could never consider myself a conservative for a lot of reasons, but a lot of those reasons are culture war issues, right? And social issues that I just could never get on board with. And I mean, economically, I'm not conservative either necessarily. I have some issues with the way they view regulation um, and the way they view spending. It's very, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies. There's a lot of things that I just can't get on board with, right? Like there's, there's no possible way that I could, it's way easier for me to like, be a liberal with caveats than it is to be a conservative conservative with caveats. And part of the reason is because I grew up, you know, in a Fox News house, right? That was on a lot, especially in my like late teens. Um, you had the Glenn Becks, the world and Hannity and like my grandmother who raised me being kind of radicalized by Glenn Beck. So there, there is a, a substantial amount of, of resentment there for like the Tea Party movement. Um, even though the way they conducted themselves, I think that the modern left could learn a lot from is actually, you know, being bold and and decisive in the way they take action. But to circle back around to this culture war situation, we're in a place where politics is now like infected everything, everything right from from what kind of bathrooms businesses need to have to to, you know, policy around what Ben Shapiro was talking about, like an audit of systemic racism within the United States from the UN, which is silly and odd. And I don't think that 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 is appropriate by any stretch of the imagination, but we're getting to this place. And I wanted to kind of go back in the way back machine and just see like, where did this like level of divisiveness start? And I feel like and I'm going to put a lot of the blame on the right here. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Look, this is going to go, we're going to look at this from a different, through a different lens, through a less current lens. And we're going to go back, you know, five or six years and just kind of see how the conversation was going and where we were headed. But we had the situation. I think that the, the, the kind of essence of the culture war is that the other side is evil, right? And you're hearing that a lot from the conservatives now because you have a, a democratic president about how evil, the evils of socialism, communism, whatever. And they, they, they fly the communism flag in the same way that the liberals fly the racism flag, right? It's like, let's, here's this thing that you should be you know, terrified of, and it's a threat to our society, which is all bullshit because there's, there's no nuance in that discussion. There's no speak of the origins of, of what's going on and how we got here and, and, and really assessing the nuance in, in the, the pattern that led to us being where we are now. Why would that be a threat? Where was that? Where do we overlook? What, what decisions do we make? How can we take responsibility for that? How can we own our mistakes and change? Like that would be too complicated. So we can just say racism and communism and that makes it really easy and keep, keeps people from like diving into the issues. So and, and this is, I, I feel like a lot of this critical race theory and things like that are, are a rebound to, in a very closed-minded and assertive and naive rebound to what was a very closed-minded, assertive um, force coming from the right. So 
let's just look at this really quick. And I want to, I want to kind of pull this up. There's a few different things that I want to take note of here. So we have a few different books that came out. So this is Sean Hannity. Um, It says, deliver us from evil, defeating terrorism, despotism, and liberalism in 2005. Okay. So this is 16 years ago, Sean Hannity wrote a book equating liberalism with terrorism and despotism and classifying all of those things as evil. Okay, so this is 2005, Sean Hannity. All right, and this is one of the biggest culprits. I think Sean Hannity is much more dangerous than the character like Alex Jones, right? Alex Jones, you can kind of write off. Sean Hannity seems to at least take himself uh, a little bit more seriously and be taken more seriously, which in my opinion makes him more dangerous because he'll do something as intellectually dishonest as equate liberalism to evil, right? So we move on here. Uh, Here's a guy, Michael Savage. I think he was another Fox News contributor. Liberalism is a mental disorder. Okay, so your political affiliation, right, your ideology politically may be that you want, that you think healthcare is a right, perhaps, uh, is a mental disorder. Okay, so you're you're, you're drawing a parallel between um, political ideology and Cognitive disorders. Okay, that's that's fantastic. And then Ann Coulter here, uh, another person. This has got four point five, four four point seven out of five stars. Treason, liberal treachery from the Cold War to the war on terrorism. So liberal treachery from the Cold War, which is a propaganda war, to the war on terrorism, which is a propaganda war that ended the lives of numerous Americans for nothing based on lies. Um, so we're looking at this situation. Ann Coulter seems like quite the cunt here, and. She's creating like liberalism, liberal treachery to treason, to treasons because she's a nationalist asshole, right? So we have this stuff and this was going on. This is uh, what year did this come out? Oh, does it even say? Come on, Connor. Where's it at? Anyways, mm, uh, 2003. 2003, Ann Coulter wrote this book. So you can see like where this was going, right? Like this is this was... You know, I don't look back and see, I couldn't find, and maybe I'm missing something, be sure to send it to me if I did, but like the, the, the equivalent of this coming from liberals, right? Like even if you were all out and out socialist, um, I didn't see this stuff happening in 2003, four five, right? This is when I was in high school, but this was very much the rhetoric that I was raised around, which then led to me resenting the intellectual dishonesty f- coming from the conservatives. So if we continue to go forward here and think about other things, right? So we have, this is very much political in the way that it's viewing liberalism as evil or treason or a mental disorder. And then we go into more social stuff, right? So everybody, you may remember but this guy, you may not, but he was the guy who went viral for freaking out about Starbucks cups, right? So let's, let's see what he has to say here. Do you realize that Starbucks wanted to take Christ and Christmas off of their brand new cups? That's why they're just plain red. In fact, do you realize that Starbucks isn't allowed to say Merry Christmas to customers? Well, I decided instead of simply boycotting, well, why don't we just start a movement? So when I went in and I asked for my coffee, they asked for my name, and I told them my name is Merry Christmas. So guess what? Starbucks, I tricked you into putting Merry Christmas on your cup. So good job, Joshua. That's fantastic. Uh, so that was that went super viral. My mom sent that to me as if she was. I was like, "This is." It was back when I like Facebook actually actually like I, I actually was on there, right? So we got it was in 2015. So we're seeing more and more of this rhetoric, right? It's like okay, and just be real. Starbucks didn't put had the word Christmas on their cups for like years previous to this. They would put like snowflakes or. I don't know, like Christmas, whatever. But you also have to understand that Starbucks is an international company. Uh, it makes the most sense for them to make one style of cup. Uh, there's also lots of people that don't 
celebrate Christmas or they celebrate Kwanzaa or whatever, like Hanukkah, who cares, right? Like it's not that big of a deal. Uh, this, this, this guy also has been accused and he has said it's not been accused. It's a fact that he was thinking about, uh, he, he preached to take up arms against gay people over gay marriage. He's a fucking piece of shit, right? But here we are, this was on CNN and he came on and had a discussion that was really, really bad with someone, but he's a, he's a, he's a terrible human being. But then you, that, that leads to shit like this right here. Did you read about Starbucks? No more Merry Christmas on Starbucks. No more. Donald Trump declares war on Starbucks over its new holiday coffee cup. I have one of the most successful Starbucks in Trump Tower. Maybe we should boycott Starbucks. I don't know. Seriously. I don't yeah, the, and the anti-cancel culture, this free is speech right, is uh, about canceling Starbucks over the fact that their cups uh, don't say Christmas even though they haven't in like several years, several years. So we keep on going here and just kind of see what's going on. Uh, this is uh, Franklin Graham, so Billy Graham's son, who has been accused of all kinds of stuff and was a very big proponent of the voter fraud. This is 2015 as well. So let's just play this whole clip, or most of it, and see what he has to say about gay marriage, the gay marriage ruling when gay marriage became legal. And let's consider this and the broader implications of what the culture war has become. Hello, I'm Todd Starnes. Same-sex marriage is now legal in all 50 states. That ruling handed down by the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision. One of the most outspoken opponents of gay marriage is Franklin Graham. And he joins us live now from North Carolina. Franklin, just a few moments ago on your Facebook page, you posted uh, just a brilliant message. And you write this, with all due respect to the court, it did not define marriage and therefore is not entitled to redefine it. Franklin, I want to get your reaction to the ruling today. Well, Todd, I'm, of course, uh, I, I'm disappointed. Uh, I'm disappointed because our, our government is uh, recognizing sin. This court is endorsing sin. And, and that's what uh, homosexuality is. It's, it's a Christ. sin against God, just like uh, um, any other sin. But, but for the court to endorse sin, I'm saddened for our country. Uh, and so... Uh, we'll, we'll have to, to go by with what the court says, but as far as for me, uh, I will never uh, recognize it in my heart uh, because God gave marriage between a man and a woman, and, and that's what marriage is. And I don't think the court, since it never defined marriage, it doesn't have the right uh, to redefine it. Uh, God, God gave us marriage, and, and that's just it, that's period, and God does not change his mind. So just let's note that this is on Fox News and there's zero pushback, right? There's zero like, well, uh, if God doesn't change his mind, then what, how do you explain the differences in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Then what was the point of Jesus besides kind of like redefining and updating, progressivizing at the time? Um, uh, your God's kind of like position on some things like can you sit in the same chair as a woman who is on her period is that okay because that's 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 not based upon the old testament like wh where are we going here and then the idea that like god actually cares what people do with their they're downstairs as long as it's consensual. Like, let, let's, be, let's be real. It's, that's silly. That's a silly statement. But this is a mainstream narrative on the right, which was attacked. You know, just attacked people for their for their their sexual preferences, as if this guy's not just some kinky weird shit. I'd love to see his. Uh, I'd love to see his search history. And you can also, you know, maybe elaborate, maybe challenge him on the idea that that people that are Christians aren't the most kinky of all. 
right? Like if you look at, at the data on what the what porn searches um, are get get the wildest and what density of the wild porn searches they are, the more regressive a society is, the more religious a society is, the weirder shit they watch. Right, you can look at that. There's a book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts. It breaks all of this down in a really funny and interesting way. Highly recommend it. But don't challenge the guy. Don't challenge the guy. Just let him say all his fucking uh, you know ridiculous nonsense over and over again. And let's see if he has anything else to say here. I wanted to stop there and just notice how little pushback there is, even though there's clear opportunities to challenge his views here. But that's not the point. That's not the point, right? We are constructing a narrative in the same way that the left does with racism. We're constructing a narrative to make you scared of gay people. You know, President Obama just a few moments ago tweeted these words, hashtag love wins. Who in your estimation is the loser today? Well, uh, I think our country uh, is, is the loser uh, because uh, marriage is, uh, is, uh, is the institution that God has given. And for us now to, to give this to uh, same-sex couples, and, and who's to say that uh, a few years from now that a man cannot marry his daughter? Or, uh, <laughs> so now we've equated uh, homosexuality to incest. That's, that's now a thing. Okay, that, that seems fair. That seems fair from a, from a group of people who worship human sacrifice. Let's not be, that's what Jesus was, right? He died for you, right? So that's human sacrifice. So you worship human sacrifice. So we can just make it, let's just making all kinds of bold, bold claims here. Let's just do all kinds of things. Let's not be honest intellectually. Let's just now fear monger over somebody because of who they, who they want to be in a relationship with, who they, who they're sexually attracted to as if that's any of your fucking business. Right. But this is, this is a common narrative. Let's continue. Uh, two men can marry one woman. I mean, where do, where do you draw the line? Uh, and so th this, is, this is new ground that our, our country is beginning to enter on. And I'm, I'm just concerned about where we head. And then also, is there going to be discrimination against uh, uh, churches, against organizations like what I represent, who are going to stand by the biblical definition of marriage? Or will, will we be discriminated against by the government? And Franklin, that does seem to be a valid concern that people have. And we does it, you fat fuck. Really? R you think that that's a valid concern? Are you, you're, you, you take that into that thought, that statement goes into your brain, right? And it clicks whatever box says valid concern. Real, that's, that's, that's who you are. That's how fucking stupid you are. Did you think that is a valid concern? Jesus fucking Christ. We've seen uh, the messages that you've posted on Facebook, and we've seen religious leaders from many denominations say, hey, look, uh, this is going to be open season on Christian business owners, on <laughs> pastors and churches that may not uh, perform same-sex oh, uh, weddings or ceremonies. Uh, what are your concerns for those, for those Christians, and what is your word of warning to them? Words of warning. Jeez. Well, you, you better be ready and you better be prepared uh, because it's coming. I think we will be, uh, there will be persecution uh, of Christians for, for our stand. Because, see, I believe, uh, I believe the Bible. And uh, God, listen, God, God loves, uh, loves us, no question about it. So when the president says that love wins, yes, uh, God loves us. But, but sin is sin. And God has standards. And when, when we violate those standards, any type of sexual relationship outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman is a sin against God. And, but God will forgive sin. But the only way that he'll forgive it is if we repent and confess our sins. And All right, well, that's enough of that. So there we are with uh, Franklin Graham. Just, just that, that sums up 
the right side of the culture war, right? That's there. That, that's that's this is 2015. So we've seen the progress here. Now let's jump in here to 2017. Uh, and now this is when Obama was leaving office. Trump was coming into office. And this is a really interesting Hannity clip that I wanted to play. So we have a lot of, about a lot about Bush and a lot about Obama. And I think it's important to give context and move backwards a little bit and just reframe the way that we're thinking about this whole culture war thing and understand the origins. If you can't understand the origins, right? Then, then what do you, you have no place to comment on what's happening now. What's happening currently is a product of something else. There's a series of cause and effect, and it gets us here. And if we can't analyze that and understand that, then we're taking a very weak position that is easily dismantled. If you don't understand the origins, your argument is not going to, not going to, it's not going to maintain, it's not going to sustain itself, right? It's not resilient. You have to understand where things come from. So let's look at this here with, with Hannity on Obama. It says, Hannity's advice to Obama, show a little class and just see the difference in what the rhetoric was then. Now I will, before we even get into this, I want to put the caveat that like Obama and Bush are both, um, I, I, don't, I don't appreciate what either one of them did. I think Obama's situation with the financial crisis was terrible. I think Bush's handling of 9-11 was terrible. They both have points as far as what we're going here, but we're looking at Hannity um, doing his best to infect the minds of Americans uh, with very dishonest rhetoric. Continue here. Let's go, Sean Hannity. And welcome to Hannity. So President Obama is leaving office the same way he came in, as a rigid and divisive radical ideologue who will stop at nothing to undermine his political opponents, and that is tonight's. So let's hear, okay, let's hear what he just said in the first five seconds of this segment. And try and apply that, right? Look at the difference between that and what somebody on, let's say, CNN was saying about Trump four years later. Is it different? Or is it exactly the fucking same? Opening monologue. All right, so earlier today at his final press conference, President Obama showed that he's not going away and even took a few shots at President-elect Donald Trump. Watch this. I have enjoyed working with all of you. Uh, that does not, of course, mean that I've enjoyed every story that you have filed, uh, but that's the point of this relationship. You're not supposed to be syncophants. You're supposed to be skeptics. You're supposed to ask me tough questions. But as I said before, I'm still a citizen. And I think it is important for Democrats or progressives who feel that they uh, came out on the wrong side of this election to be able to distinguish between the normal back and forth ebb and flow of policy. There's a difference between that normal functioning of politics and certain issues or certain moments where I think our core values may be at stake. All right, pretty disrespectful. How disrespectful was that really? Like it seems like he was trying to be as disrespect as, as there seemed to be as little disrespect there as possible while trying to get his point across because he wasn't fucking wrong. Looking back now, a few years ago, he wasn't wrong. Like the normal ebb and flow of policy got completely disrupted on both sides. Nancy Pelosi is just as guilty of that as as Donald Trump is. I understand. And Mitch McConnell had he was he was he was shitting the bed the entire second term, Obama's entire second term. So we have the situation here where Hannity is going to just continue to go. And we're going to keep breaking this down because I think this is really important. And this is just one example, but there are many. Right? We can go to Laura Ingram, uh, Tucker a little bit back in, more so then than he is now. Uh, 
was more of a hack. Uh, I think he actually now has kind of found his groove and, and is definitely the most well-respected person on cable, which is interesting to say the least. But let's continue this and just see where it goes. Instead of following the example of President George W. Bush, the one he set when he left office, President Obama has done the complete opposite. Now, let me show you exactly what I mean. Before and during Obama's presidency, I interviewed President Bush several times and asked him to comment on President Obama. Well, much to my chagrin, he refused. Watch this. You've got to spend a little time with him. Yes. And he's, a, he's a smart, capable person who is... You know, he's got a presence about him, and he's, uh, he's listened to, he's asked me good questions and listened. You made a decision not to attack President Obama. It's not just President Obama. I suspect I'll have that same point of view for whoever follows him. <laughs> that cracked me up because that was definitely not the case. <laughs> you just, just do not want to weigh in on current affairs. Why? Uh, because, um, <clears throat> first of all, I'm trying to regain a, a sense of anonymity which I know is impossible, but nevertheless, it's worth the effort. Secondly, I don't think it's uh, good for the country to have a former president criticizing his successor. I'm sure you have a lot to say. <laughs> you're not, you're, you're, we talked politics before we came in. You're very engaged and yes. aware of what's going on. I'm very aware of what's going on. I don't think it's good for the country to have a former president uh, undermine a current president. I think it's bad for the presidency, for that matter. He'll tell you privately how he feels about <laughs> President Obama, right? Because he won't tell me. Talk about message discipline. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good message. That's probably the highest form of it, right? Why don't you tell people why? And the reason why... Because you respect the office. I do. And I think the office is more important than the occupant. You see that? Yeah, so do you think that Trump thinks the, pres the, the, the office of the president of the United States is more important than him in his rhetoric and his behavior? Of course not. No, he doesn't think anything is more important than him. He's a narcissistic fuckhead. So we're in the situation, but let's like, I, I think I, we're going to keep going with this clip. And we're gonna, it's gonna, this, is a long, this is a long bit. I think this is what we're going to start doing here. It, it's just hard to watch, right? Because I don't like George W. Bush. don't like Obama either. But like the way that he's conducting himself is, is kind of the way of a gentleman, right? It's like he, he started an endless war based on lies. But like the way he's conducting himself as far as what's best for the country in, after his presidency, I do have some respect for. I really do. So let's keep going. Even with bad haircuts, I practically begged President Bush to go after President Obama and call out his many failed policies. Which means that's what you wanted, right? That's what you want. You wanted to stir shit up. You wanted clickbait before the word clickbait was really a thing. He wouldn't do it. President Obama, on the other hand, had no problem completely trashing with regularity President Bush. You may remember this during the 2008 campaign. Take a look. The American people have a choice this November. It's going to be a clear choice between four more years of the same failed Bush policies that have wrecked Michigan's economy or real change. I believe that there is no separation between John McCain and George Bush when it comes to our Middle East policy, and I think their policy has failed. The way Bush has done it over the last eight years is to take out a credit card from the Bank of China in the name of our children, driving up our national debt. That's irresponsible. It's unpatriotic. At this rate, the question isn't just, are you better off than you were four years ago? The question is, are you better off than you were four weeks ago? 
For eight years, we've seen the Bush-McCain philosophy put our country on the wrong track. We can't have another four years that look just like the last eight. And he kept... So what, I don't understand, like, he's campaigning. What is the problem there? Like, you're making a lot about nothing here, Hannity, right? And then you complain about the culture war and cancel culture now. Like, look, look at this. Like, where, look at where this all started. Blaming President Bush the entire time he's been in office. Look at this. We were inheriting so many challenges. We knew this was going to take time because we've got this big, messy, tough democracy. The previous administration and previous Congresses created an expensive new drug program, passed massive tax cuts for the wealthy, and funded two wars without paying for any of it. If we had taken office during ordinary times, we would have started bringing down these deficits immediately. These are far from the best of times. Uh, by any measure, my administration inherited a fiscal disaster. He's still blaming Bush, by the way. Is any of that not true? Right, like you inherit two wars that were started on false pretenses that now continued for another what was it, 2008? So another like 12 years, 13 years, just now starting a drawdown. And I mean, yeah, if if you if you have a president that comes in during normal times where there's not a war, there's not a need to spend out your ass, and then you could, you you then you fall into a financial crisis. Yeah, you can probably do a little bit more about the deficit than when you're in a fucking thunder a, a shitstorm. Right, like that—that's of course it's what's going to happen. So again, we're going to keep going here. I'm just—I'm just enjoying this clip. Now let's talk about President Obama's treatment of President-elect Donald Trump. He spent the entire year of 2016 trashing the Republican nominee. Watch this. Donald Trump is temperamentally unfit to be commander in chief. You know, it's bad enough being arrogant. It's bad being arrogant and not knowing anything. If you disrespect women before you became president, you'll do so once you're president. If you accept the support of Klan sympathizers before you're president, then you'll accept their support after you're president. I can honestly say to myself that if, if we as Democrats had nominated somebody who said the things Mr. Trump said, then I'd have to say, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm a Democrat, but I'm an American first. Now, President Obama savagely attacked President-elect Donald Trump because he knew if a Republican won, his legacy would be non-existent. And President Obama refused to compromise even a little bit on his leftist ideology. He refused to work with the Republicans. Just for the record, under, under the Obama administration, the government got smaller and business had a fucking field day. Okay, so let's just keep that in mind. Republicans in Congress, and instead, he relied mostly on executive orders and actions and discretion to unilaterally dictate federal law. And now that Donald Trump won, President Obama is realizing his legacy could all be gone by the stroke of a pen. Yeah, maybe it would have been if Trump didn't spend the next four years blaming every problem of his administration on Obama. So we'll cut that off right there. And this is what I wanted to get into. This is this is kind of, I know this is long and tedious, but I think we're onto something here when we're talking about like this culture war piece. Because now you're getting the situation, and I wanted to go through the Wayback Machine and just see what was going on and see that, that really Fox News in many ways paved the way for modern media. Right, we got rid of the fairness doctrine under Reagan. They saw an opportunity to create a, a WWE professional wrestling style uh, a deliverance of media. That became the way hyperpartisan get people pissed off, get people riled up. As you're seeing in this great example of a clip here, it, it's complete fucking bullshit. 
right? There's no, there's no nuance there. There's no discussion. There's no acknowledgement of fact. There's no saying, you know, giving the other side credit. There's no steel manning. There's none of that. And that was the way to make money. That was the way to get ratings because that's what people want to see because this other shit is tedious and not as fun and not as hyperbolic and not as profitable. Then you have someone like Trump, right? Who kind of fit the same void as Obama, but the opposite, right? It was very easy to hate from the left. And then you end up doing the exact same shit. And now that's become our reality. So what I think is that the culture war is the fact that these, these media companies have won. They've won in so many ways because they've infected the minds of the American population, right? They've inf- it, it, it is, it is a, a, a pandemic uh, that you can't see. You can only feel and hear. And it's these, these brain worms that are just like crawling through our reality and fucking us up. Like just fucking us up on a level that we have a hard time comprehending. And this is the origin of the culture war. It is the culture war that we're experiencing now. Black Lives Matter, uh, critical race theory, you know, even the rise in what some people say, like the rise in socialism and communism. It's a response. It's a reaction. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And no one wants to take responsibility. One of the reasons I have a hard time respecting conservatives is because they don't want to take responsibility for their part in the culture war. They just want to blame and victimize themselves and then just react to cr- the craziest shit you can find on the left and create villains out of everyone. And it's, 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 a hard, it's a hard position to respect. It's a very hard position to respect in the same way that what the Democrats are doing is, is also a very hard position to respect. But you look at this and it's like, I've, I've yet to see some conservatives that are, that are, that are popular challenge bad ideas with better ideas, right? They just do the, another bad idea that's that's the mirror image of the bad idea they're fighting against. So this seems to be where we're at. And I wanted to dive into that. I wanted to share that because we, we, we so, so quickly we forget, right? We so quickly we forget what was happening um, five, six, seven, ten years ago and how that may have paved the way for what we're, what we're experiencing now. So we're thinking about worth diving into and just worth considering whenever you're making adjustments, considering what we're dealing with today. Now, with all that being said, I think it's time to get into your questions and your topics and your thoughts right now. Hitting your Instagram questions and topics. I love this. This is fun. Everybody seemed to enjoy it. The poll on Instagram seemed to uh, back me up on people really enjoying this. So let's start off. Chrissy Morrow says, can you expand on what you love about your current relationship dynamic? Yeah. So we have a really interesting relationship. One thing that's really great, just having moved into this new uh, this new place out here in, in, in Golden, Colorado, we have a little bit more space and we have our own, um, I have my own studio that's separate from the house, which is really nice. And I, that, that space is really helpful. And one of the things I do love about our dynamic is that we're really willing to like give each other space, right? I can be like, hey, I need to like, I just want to like hang out and play video games at the end of the night by myself. Can you like go away? <laughs> you know, or I want to watch my show. It's like something to turn. Cause we're both doing shit all day long. It's so nice to just like turn your brain off, you know? So we have that ability, but also in the way that we like, we've set a standard for ourselves in our relationship. And it's something that we thought a lot about in the beginning 
was knowing that we're going to change a lot, right? Like when I get when we started dating, I was doing personal development stuff and was pretty just immersed in that culture where now what I'm doing is completely different. I actually enjoy it much more and I feel it's much more in alignment with like me as a person and where I want to go. But we had to shift in that, you know, there was like, there was changes in that and our relationship had to change substantially because we weren't kind of immersed in the same world all the time. Um, And we adjusted that super well. And I think that we've, we acknowledged this and I was very adamant about when we first started dating is that like, Hey, we're going to change like over the next 20, 30, we stay together for till the end, you know, which I hope we do. um, Then we're going to change right? Like it's just, that's, the, that's a fact of life. And that's a beautiful part of life and something that we don't need to, to deny ourselves, which is why that we constructed the relationship in the way that we do, where we do bring in um, other women sometimes and do some different things and play and like challenge ourselves and get outside of our comfort zones and even have like difficult conversations and, and sexually like are, are, are very explorative and try new things and just try to like keep that stuff fresh and new. Um, I think that stuff is really fun. So as far as that goes, like this, I think the openness and flexibility and the way that we challenge each other is really fun and really helpful um, when it comes to our relationship dynamic. And that is a really good question, and I'm glad you asked that, Chrissy. Uh, if you guys ever want to dive into more of that, just wait for the next Q&A episode, and we'll, we'll dive into it. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creators of Element, the thing that's going to keep you hydrated through the summer, keep you healthy, keep you feeling good, keep you feeling right. Now, Element is a, it's a packet, a packet of goodness, a magical goodness that you can put in some water and um, drink it. And it doesn't have any sugar in it. It's got magnesium, salt, electrolytes. And it really just optimizes your water consumption. Here's the thing. Pretty soon, we're going to have wars over water. Kamala Harris has, has admitted this. It's coming down the pipe. Uh, you got droughts in California. If you're in California, if you don't have a, a stock of element, then you're in trouble. I'll tell you that right now. The droughts, the fires, the things. We're going to be in some Mad Max level territory as far as how we're going to handle water. And and in order to protect yourself from the inevitable dystopian waterless future, you're going to need to maximize the effectiveness of the water that you put inside of your body. And there's no other way to do that besides element. You can do, I guess, liquid IV if you want to do some like B-team Bush League bullshit. I guess you can get some liquid IV. But did Rob Wolf help develop liquid IV? I don't think so. That's only element. And if you're not following his nutrition protocols, I don't know what you're doing with your life. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I have no idea. It, it, it eludes me. But anyways... During the water war that will be inevitable, you're going to need a stock of, of element. I recommend getting the watermelon, getting a lemon habanero. And if you go to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders, you're going to get a variety pack for just $5. Just cover shipping, you get your variety pack, but also just add on some stuff because listen, it could happen any day. It could happen any day. And then we'll need to convert the Patreon community into a violent militia to hoard water and we will have element in all of that water besides the water that we use to cook. And that will be our new reality. We will not worry about critical race theory or communism. We will only worry about hydration 
and we will get the most out of that hydration with Element in our dystopian future. So check it out, guys. Drink Element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Wanders. That'll get you a variety pack for $5. Also, make sure to pick up the watermelon. is incredible. The grapefruit just dropped. Also good. Raspberries, amazing. And lemon habanero for the summertime if you want a spicy little kick. Those are my hitters. Those are my favorites. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe and stay moist. DrinkElement.com slash Wanders. Link is in the show notes. Topher says, "Are what? Who are two people that disagree with one another that you'd like to mediate between?" Oh God. Oh, I kind of skipped this one when I was thinking about this show. Two people that disagree with one another. Um, I would like to. Ooh, man. Oh, this is so fun. Um, let's see. I would like to get. <laughs> I would like to mediate between ooh, Candace Owens, Candace Owens, and let me think of somebody, somebody that would just this is just you know what I'd love to do actually. Let's just do this: Candace Owens and AOC, Candace Owens and AOC, who are so similar, so crazy similar. I would love, I would absolutely love to moderate a conversation between Candace Owens. And AOC, that would be such a shit show. So funny, so fun. And that would just be a blast. That would be an absolute blast. I don't know how that would go. It would get so messy. I would, and I would, of course, me moderating that or mediating that conversation, uh, moderating that conversation. I think I would actually steer it towards a fucking dumpster fire. And I would just, that would be amazing. It'd be so fun. Peter Knapp says, is college a scam? Um, I think there's, I don't think college, like the college education is a scam in itself. I think the systems that surround college are where the scam lies, right? So, um, you know, college is the product. The education is the product. There's a lot of growing up that needs to be done from kids a lot of times these days. And I think that college gives an opportunity to do that. And it's kind of middle ground where you're coddled as well, but you're not, um, coming from your parents' house, it's like a step outside, lets you take some risks. And and one of the biggest points of privilege, I think, in life, regardless of race, but just like actual privilege, is being able to fuck up and not ruin your life, right? You see a lot of that in the system. If you ever watched the show The Wire, you see people being like at... Um, they'll, you have one major fuck up in your life and it like really impacts you for two decades, you know? And I think that really sets people behind. Um, one of the reasons I think we need serious uh, criminal justice reform and, and drug law reform, especially uh, because you don't want people like, you know, I've, I've made some huge mistakes when I was young and they didn't ruin my life, you know? And I think that's important. And that's, that to me is where I feel the most privilege in my life is, is having been able to make those mistakes. And I think college allows uh, a place for you to go do some dumb shit um, get it out of your system, you know, make some mistakes and hopefully be in a situation where you don't have enough like latitude to really let it ruin your life. So you can like go get a little too drunk or go like see what it happens when you get lazy and like you fail a class. Like these things are important, I think. And those are small costs versus like going into the workforce at 18 and having to figure those things out when you actually have stakes um, on, on, you know, have when there's actual things at stake that matter. So, now, when we talk about the scam part, that is the college loan system and the, and the price of college, which has been absolutely inflated um, thanks to government policies. I mean, the government policy around uh, protecting student loans, which you cannot go bankrupt from, uh, has increased the, the, the demand so much that it also increased the price in a way that's really fucked up, right? So you're looking at, I guess, six-figure six figure, figure education for a 
basic degree is absolutely, even at $60,000 worth of debt, that's absolutely unacceptable, especially when the job market is shit. So there's a way to reform this in a way. Like I think, um, you know, I think if you do what, what by, I really appreciate what Biden was talking about with free community college, like government sponsored community college. I think that's great. I think it's a great way to get people in a situation where they can get a good entry level job, um, doing something that might not be the best thing in the world, but can get you uh, a, a leg up. And community colleges are a great way to do that. That also, I think, would, would get people through the entry level of their like teaching certificates or nursing degrees. That way, when you come out of, if you have to, if you transfer from a community college to a, some traditional four-year university, you've got two years worth of debt, not four. And you've also grown up a little bit. So maybe you have a job, you can supplement that. I think that's really important and really helpful. I also think one of the best things we can do to increase the quality of life in this country is make all trade schools free and heavily invest in trade schools. We have a crumbling infrastructure we talk about all, all the time. And a lot of people, like this is one of the things problems I have with Bernie Sanders is just like throw money at it. But I think what you do did you invest in trade schools, creating a shit ton of welders, builders, electricians, plumbers, like people that are skilled workers who do make really good money, surprisingly good money. Um, people that do HVAC work, um, the things like that. And, and that's a place to, to really pull yourself out of poverty, like pull yourself, like if you want to talk about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but getting that two-year degree, becoming a master master welder, plumber, et cetera, where you really are able to make the money, you can do that in a reasonable amount of time and be very practical and add a lot to the society. And I think if you create a situation where trade schools are free, then you have a, a, a really robust workforce that can then work on our infrastructure. So you're now creating, it's almost like a back a backdoor to creating a jobs program, in my opinion, because now you have an incredible demand on the worker side, right, to four projects, four jobs, four things that can really help and support people. And I think that that is a better way to look at it than trying to get, you know, Susie, a, a liberal arts degree. Um, that, that to me is much more pragmatic and it, and it can, it could be a nice kind of canary in the coal mine for what it would be like to reform education, but doing so in a way that has kind of a two birds with one stone approach, right? One, you're pulling people out of poverty in a lot of ways by offering this free trade school. And also, working on the infrastructure that we desperately need and creating jobs in the renewable in, in renewable resources uh, category as well. Like you're creating people that you're creating workers in, in, a, in a way that that is so beneficial to them. And especially people that come from come from poverty and come from uh, struggling families, giving them a way out, right? If they want to be a motorcycle mechanic or, or work on cars or like I said, a welder, things like that, where it's these, these jobs where you can make a hundred thousand dollars a year. And sometimes you can do that working four days a week, you know? So you end up having a higher quality of life and really adding value to society. So I think there's, it's a very complex question about college being a scam, but I definitely will say the college loan system is very much a scam and the way they're in bed with each other is, is really fucked. Um, and very problematic. Jay Goldman, my buddy from, from Austin, Texas, formerly of the Sups Dog podcast, where we used to talk about fitness and exercise back in the day when uh, Grand X was a thing. You guys remember Total Frat Move and Post-Grad Problems. They were both under that Grand X label, which I, I very much miss and appreciate. And those are some of the, the best times of my life doing podcasts with these guys. But Jake Goldman, also the co-host of the Softcore History Podcast. So make sure to check out those guys at Softcore History if you're wanting to get into that. Uh, I've been checking out their stuff, and it's really, really funny. They got a Blood Feud episode out just now. So if you want to hear a bunch of uh, goofy-ass fucking guys talking about the history of um, all kinds of crazy shit, check out Softcore History and go find Jake W. Goldman on Instagram. All right, anyways, what's the best episode to recommend for my mom, to my mom for understanding both sides suck? Yeah, so I think the one right before this. 
honestly was one of the best episodes that was like, listen, let's just break down both sides, especially thinking about the 2024 election. So looking at that 2024 election, you really get a chance to understand like the shortcomings of both sides, uh, talking about the failure of Kamala and, and the problem of trying to run Trump again in 2024. So for me, it's that one. If you want to get her the most fun one, um, I would go back to the Ben Shapiro wet ass pussy episode. The WAP episode with Ben Shapiro is the highest downloaded episode that we've done on this, on this uh, show. And uh, people seem to really enjoy that. But it just points out just how silly that whole situation is from the pundit position. But as far as policy goes, I think the most recent episode before this one, um, going into both 2024 possibilities as well as some drug law stuff and some different things was actually the best one that really breaks down both of those on top of the fact that I've gotten a little bit better at this over, over time. The Wild Stein says, thoughts on Cuba. I mean, I have thoughts on Cuba, but here's the thing. I, I, Everybody has a fucking opinion about everything, right? Like everybody's got to have an opinion about everything. Everybody's an expert on foreign relations now and, and geopolitics. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on with Cuba. I mean, you see, one of the things that really frustrates me is the conservatives should be in like communism, communism, as if it's that simple. As if it's that simple. It's very much not. It's not that simple at all. So when we get this, we have this situation here where we're like, okay, there's upright, there's unrest. They want medical, they want food. I think this embargo being lifted would be a really great thing because they're not really a, a domestic terror or a terrorist sponsor anymore. They're not sponsoring um, terrorists. You know, I think the, that, 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 did, that argument was debatable at one point in time, but here we go. Now, now that's not the case. They do have a dictatorship. It's a, it's a fucking disaster, man. And this embargo does not help. And also the communist policies don't help. Right? It's like, there's a lot of things to be true. Like there's a lot of people that are right about this issue, but no one's that I've seen is, is fully, do I feel as a fully nuanced view of the whole situation? So we're, it's really, really tricky to look at this thing and be like, oh yeah, I understand it. But I have thoughts. You know, I think, I think it's, it's really sketchy to look at how the dictatorship is like shutting off the internet and how we've got a deal where we haven't really supported them. I think if you want to bring democracy to Cuba, then you make trade between Cuba and the United States incredibly easy um, and, and just kind of overwhelm them in a situation, you know, and see what happens, right? Buy all your sugar, right? What if we just, what if we shifted back to sugar, real sugar instead of high fructose corn syrup? And that just happens to be that Cuba is a, a great producer of sugar. You know, I mean, I feel like fat Americans, fat Americans are the foundation of so many economies around the world. Americans love to consume and fat Americans consume the most. And I think it's really unfair that Cuba can't capitalize on fat Americans, right? Whether it be on cruise ships or sugar consumption, you got to give them an opportunity here. And that would do a lot for their society. And, and just, this is just like China, right? Like the Chinese people aren't like bad people and the Cuban people aren't bad people. So I don't think that the way that we're handling this by punishing the Cuban people is, is really helpful at all. And they're the ones paying the price. And you're seeing that now. And I think we should be, but you also can't go in on a situation where you want to do like another regime change war. We're just now drawing down out of one of them, right? We're just now drawing down out of one uh, 21 year senseless war. And now you want to get out in one with Cuba? Like, and people are like, well, it's a humanitarian issue. We got this long debate. It's like a humanitarian issue. And it's, I, I agree with Joe Biden who said this the other day. It's like, so you want to go to war with China as well? 
Is that what you want to do? Let's go to war with China and Cuba. And well, hell, we'll go to Ecuador and, and, and solve all their problems. And everywhere in South America, there's human rights offenses all over the place. It's not the United States' fucking responsibility. Right. And it's debatable, but I do think that the United States was very influential in making sure that Cuba turned into a communist uh, country, anyways. Because what was happening before the revolution was that it was a capitalist nation, and the United States went down there and bought up everything, bought up all the oil rights, bought up all the sugar fields. So now the money was from Cuba that was being produced in Cuba was going to the United States and not to Cubans, and that pissed everybody the fuck off, which started a revolution, which paved the way for someone like Castro. So if you want to put yourself, again, you have to understand the origins of a problem to get to where you're at. And America draining a country of its resources, a small island country of its resources, is a really great way to nationalize fucking everything and put them in the situation that they're in now. Right? So here we are. But it's frustrating whenever it's like, it's like, it's fuck these goddamn conservatives get a hard on anytime a communist country like has an issue and it's like let's blow them up and it's it's so it's so disingenuous and so intellectually dishonest when it's like well this is the this is the product of communism and it's like well let's look at scandinavian countries and let's be real nobody in america there's very few actual communists in america most of them are in black lives matter it's people that want a better healthcare system and a better fucking education system and you're calling them communists and socialists because you're a fucking dishonest piece of shit that's where we're at that's the world we live in you can't be like, oh, let's let's use Venezuela and Colum and uh, excuse me, Venezuela and Cuba as examples of why we can't have a better healthcare system. Do you understand that you're just a shill for pharmaceutical companies now? Like that's where we're at. This is that that's that's the position. That's the most of all the things that are going on. That's the most frustrating to me. I don't like that the Cuban people are are, are in this situation. It's super fucked up. It's also not the United States' responsibility to fix it. Is more any more than it is anybody else's. Like it seems like when we intervene, things just get worse. We can't even do a regime change coup anymore. We fucked all that up as well. That's happening in Venezuela right now. We fucked it up. So you want to go do the same thing? I think Haiti actually needs more help than anybody right now. But you don't hear that. You hear the one that fits the narrative, which is communism is evil. Yada yada yada. Which communism is not good. I understand that. But like, can we have a, a better conversation? Can you treat people like they're not fucking morons? That's that's where we, I would like to get, you know, because we don't look at the countries that function well and have better healthcare systems, better education systems than we do, and use those as the comparison. You use Venezuela and Cuba because you have no better argument. You can't win on policy, so that's where we're at. That is where we are at. So that's my thoughts on it. I'm not an expert, but what I what I do, and that's not really. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a geopolitical, you know, uh, focused person. What I do is is notice hypocrisy on both sides, right? And I think people have points here and and it's really hard to watch it all just become this like surface level shit throwing contest, which is is exactly what it's become. And it's, it's just exhausting. And it makes me not even want to get into it. I'm like, okay, well now I've got to sift through a pile of bullshit to try to find like any kind of actual honest dialogue here, which you're just not seeing. It's so similar to the Israel-Palestine thing where it's like, oh my God, can we just like... Can we just, this is just so stupid. I mean, it's, it's terrible and it's sad and it's, it's not stupid to the people over there, but the way it's being handled is, is just more, it's just more divisive rhetoric all the time. All right. Mitch, the Merch says favorite psychedelic. Oh God. For what purpose? Right. For what purpose? I'd say generally my favorite psychedelic is going to be uh, psilocybin mushrooms um, very versatile, easy to negotiate with. Also, depending on dose, like very, very profound 
super intense. But I think that the reason that mushrooms, I mean, mushrooms have always kind of been my favorite, but since I've smoked a DMT enough times, done ayahuasca enough times, you kind of grease that groove in your psyche or in your spirit or in the ether, however you want to, however you want to uh, perceive it, um, where now my mushroom trips can be very similar to an ayahuasca experience um, because I've just kind of experienced both. I don't know what how that works, but it's it's a pretty universal effect where you do mushrooms having not done, you know, a DMT rich psychedelic and it's a different experience than after you do a DMT rich psychedelic, uh, especially ayahuasca because those experiences are so long and so heavy that it feels like you're kind of priming some kind of neurological pathway there that you then have access to uh, via mushrooms. And I've had, I've had mushroom experiences that were indistinguishable from ayahuasca experiences, minus the purging that comes from the fact that uh, ayahuasca and chacruna together in the ayahuasca brew are a purgative. um, So that doesn't really happen on mushrooms for me, but it does for lots of other people. So really, really good question there and hard to answer. I do also love microdosing LSD, um, I need a little bit more LSD experience. I've got to find some good stuff um, around um, so I can try that kind of stuff out. But do my microdosing has been incredibly helpful. But as far as like general favorite psychedelic that if I'm going to go to a concert or like want to hang out and like think about how beautiful the grass is, <laughs> that's definitely mushrooms. And I've had, I mean, mushrooms, one of the reasons, I mean, ayahuasca has definitely altered my life in certain ways. I'd even say LSD has in a little bit, uh, in some ways. Um, you know, if you guys want to ask any more psychedelic stories, I have a handful of them that I like to dive into, but mushrooms, I feel like profoundly changed my life. And that's something that I'm incredibly grateful for. It really helped me take a step outside of my kind of objective, excuse me, take a step outside of my subjective view of reality and kind of see a broader picture, including myself and the way that I was behaving and interacting um, with my perception of reality. So really fun stuff there and help me become a more empathetic and more compassionate human being, help me heal my relationship with my mom, like really, really intense stuff happened. Um, and I give a lot of credit to mushrooms and practices around that, that kind of came to me through that, ex- those experiences that really helped me view the world in a different way and really change the way that I see, um, life relationships, love, you know, connection, death. Uh, a lot of that stuff came from mushrooms. So super, super big fan of mushrooms and love that they're decriminalized in Colorado. You guys should figure that out. All you libertarian states that think you got your shit together, but you got archaic drug laws. Give me a break. That's it, y'all. Fun stuff answering your questions. Keep them coming. We'll do this next week as well. Hopefully, we'll figure out the tech issues and get it all sorted. It's a process. But I love it. Let me know what you think about the culture war piece. Sure, join the Patreon if you want to support the show. It's a great way to support the show and get another episode every week that is crowdsourced in-depth from the Patreon for the Patreon. Review the show on Apple Podcasts and keep your goddamn head on straight. Love you guys. See you next time. Bye-bye.